Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I am your host, Whitney Sewell. You know, we hear the term all the time in our industry, you know, value add, value add real estate or value add projects. And, you know, that term is thrown around a lot, but there's many different parts of a value add business plan that we need to know about, especially if you are a passive investor or if you're an operator, you need to think about, you know, is this a deep value add? Is this a light value add? How do we express that? How do we know what to do when we're talking about a value add type project? Well, I hope today you learn a lot from the highlights from these shows and these operators talking about value add projects. Have a blessed day. Our guest is Chris Grinzig. Thanks for being on the show, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me. Why don't we talk about, let's say the 82 unit in Jacksonville. Why don't you walk us through that deal a little bit? Yeah, so that was actually a little bit more complicated finding the deal because while we were working on some of the other stuff and I wasn't quite working there, we started helping out with some of the meetups that we were doing. So we have been doing and still do a free meetup every month and we kind of just center it around a different topic or a talking point or we'll bring like an insurance. Where's the meetup at? That's in Westbury, New York on Long Island. So while we were doing that, what we wanted to do was kind of do what we had done and do it with other people. So we actually had for the 17 units that we did in, it's actually Covington, Kentucky. It's right outside Cincinnati. It's like, if you think about Brooklyn to Manhattan, Covington is the Brooklyn of Cincinnati kind of it's across the water, a little bit different, a little bit smaller, but obviously not quite Manhattan and Brooklyn. And what we were able to do was we said to three people, we said, you know, we know you want to get into the space. You want to start buying stuff invest with us and we'll sit down with you once a week, same type of thing. We're not taking $20,000 for a coaching course. That's not what we want. But it was a business within a business we were trying out to see if we liked and if it would work. And we did it, we liked it, but it wasn't something we really wanted to build out. So we kind of just stopped it after that. But it actually led to one of the guys finding this deal in Jacksonville that we bought and brought it to us to partner with. So it was the guy who was learning from us Myself, my mom, my cousin, and John all partnered on this deal of different splits for different things and were able to come in, raise the money from some private guys, people we knew from the meetup and stuff like that. And then we actually also went out and raised the money with Realty Shares, which is a crowdfunding website. Nice. It was interesting from that standpoint. The deal itself, the reason we really liked it was the manager that we know and have used in the past in Jacksonville, she was already managing the deal for the current owners. So it was an easy transition. It was found the deal. So she was managing, called her up and said, should we buy this? And she said, yes. And then we went from there. Obviously it, it still made financial sense. And it's probably one of our better performing deals just because we bought it right. And we knew how it was going to operate because it was the same manager. The only thing that really changed was taxes. And it was just a ton of upside on it. You know, the, the past owners came in and bought it. I mean, I see pictures and it was in pretty rough shape and they actually did a really good job coming in and cleaning up and executing on their business plan and you know left a tremendous amount of meat on the bones for us and it's probably something that we're still going to be able to continue to increase rent and income and still leave some meat on the bones for the next guy what kind of upside what will you all be changing and doing to the property to create this upside yeah so we came in and we did some 
more cosmetic stuff. They did a lot with like roofs, HVACs, parking lots, stuff like that, where we came in and they had put up fences where we came in and we stained them a nice dark color. We came in and we finished putting in these black solar screens, which tied in well, because there's a lot of black like outlining in the property. It's tough to explain if you don't see it, but it looked a lot nicer. And it also covers up the really bad blinds that people break. It kind of hides that as well, which is nice when you're driving through. Came and did new pool furniture. What else did we do? A couple other exterior things like some curbs, some signage, some landscaping, just minor stuff like that. And then we did a lot of interior upgrades. They had really, really old cabinets, flooring, appliances, stuff like that. So they had done a handful of kind of like a minor upgrade where they put in some vinyl rollouts some black appliances. They painted some cabinets. And what we were going to do is come in and do the plank because it's a little bit easier to maintain new appliances, epoxy the cabinets, new hardware, new bathroom vanities, new bathroom mirrors, resurface the counter, resurface tubs, and just kind of spend like three to 3,500 per unit, push rents, 100, 125 bucks, nothing crazy. And just kind of go from there. But one of the things that's been really interesting is one, the growth in Jacksonville has been incredible the past year. I mean, we're 96% occupied and we have a waiting list on one bedrooms, which is crazy. And two is our manager is actually able to secure a deal with a local supplier for brand new cabinets, brand new countertops for about 1900 bucks installed. And it only brought up our cost about a thousand bucks per unit. We were able to get another 50, 75 bucks for that. So it really changed what we were doing at the property and has really helped us be able to push rents even further than we thought we were going to be able to. Nice. So tell us something else about this deal that y'all like. Go into about the location a little deeper about Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Jacksonville, fun fact, actually the largest landmass of any U.S. city in the country. Back in like the early 2000s, Duval County and the city of Jacksonville actually combined, basically combined and they're the same. So it's actually the most amount of land of any U.S. city. So it's always a fun fact. If you ever talk to somebody from Jacksonville, especially in real estate, they always throw that in your face right when you start talking to them about it. So always got to throw that out there. But this is on the west side of Jacksonville. But the west side is probably one of the not nicer areas. There's really nice pockets in it. One of them is called Ortega. And ours is right just south of Ortega. But just south of the west side, which is technically not in the city limits, is an area called Orange Park. Florida, which is a real B, B class area with some really nice properties. And we're just, just south of Ortega and just north of Orange Park. So we get a lot of benefits of both. And we were able to get it at a discount where you have the people that can't quite live in Orange Park and the people that can't quite live in Ortega, but they want a nice place. And they were able to come to us and kind of get maybe not the nicest looking property from the exterior and doesn't have all the lights and flashiness and all that stuff, but it's just a good place to live, big apartments being renovated and pretty solid workforce housing option for a lot of people. So do you know about the structure of this deal? Could you explain that to us? In terms of... How much capital raised, you know, how it was structured with investors? Yeah, sure. So it was just over $3.8 million. We came in and we got from Freddie Small Balance, we got 80% loan to value. It was actually really nice. When we first got the property, it was like right around a six cap on trailing 12. And then the last two, three, four months, there was a real big uptick in income as they were kind of finishing up their plan and putting all the last pieces into place. And by the time we closed, it was like a six and a half, six and three quarter cap before tax adjustment. So it was really nice going in. We had a really nice delta on what we were borrowing money at and what our in-place cap rate was. So we came in with really good cash flow coming in. 
And then on top of that, you know, we brought about $350,000 in CapEx to spend on a lot of the exterior stuff I said about a couple little deferred maintenance items. They had some problems with like some drainage. So we installed some French drains. We brought in some new soil to kind of help get some stuff out. There's actually a ditch around the exterior of the property behind the fencing where the water trails off to. So we actually dug that about a foot deeper and a foot wider and kind of cleared out a lot of like dead trees and trash and stuff like that to kind of just help with the water off of the property. Cause there's some standing water when it rained pretty heavily and it rains a lot in Jacksonville. So we cleaned up some minor stuff like that, but a bulk of the capital has been towards interior renovations. And our plan was to kind of come in and do, I think of the 80, we were going to do about 45 of the units, give or take doing the old upgrade plan. But now we're spending a little bit more, but we're getting more on rent. So we're probably going to be doing a little bit less, probably in the upper 30s range, give or take, just because the price has gone up, but we're getting more. So we'll probably renovate, call it 40 units, give or take. And we'll kind of just continue to push rent as much as we can, cash flow, and then look for an exit in a few years' time. Awesome. Chris, changing directions a little bit. What advice would you give now somebody that's just getting into this business or wanting to get into the syndication business? Maybe they've flipped a couple of homes or have a couple single family rentals, but now they say, okay, I want to scale this and do what you're doing. What do you tell them? So I think the important factors that people need to realize is it's really tough to do the syndication business without having some money already in your pocket. Right? There's a lot of things people don't realize, especially if you're going to do out of state. You know, there's travel costs. You know, there's costs to get inspections done. There's deposits, right? This money has to come from somewhere. Now, obviously, you can go borrow it or have partners and this, that, and the other. The other thing too is people hear non-recourse loan and they think, oh, I don't need to have millions of dollars in the bank. You still do have to have certain qualifications to be able to get three, five, ten million dollar loan, even though it's non-recourse, which some people don't realize, but it's more of a common fact now. I feel like, especially in the syndication, bigger pockets, real estate investing world, more people are starting to realize that. So I think a lot of that stuff people don't realize until they start digging deeper and diving into it a little bit more that the world where you put no money down and you buy a 50 unit and you can kind of get seller financing for 95% of it and borrow the other 5% from family and friends. I don't know that it really exists anymore. There's too much interconnectivity and too many people that know what's going on now. And a lot of those deals have sold. And it's a lot tougher to find long-term owners that don't know what they're doing anymore, especially in some of the bigger metros you know, with a million plus people and you're talking 100 units plus. You go out and find a 10 unit, that's a different story. But you know, those kind of deals don't exist. So I think knowing that you're going to need money up front and that there's a very real chance you could lose money is something that a lot of people need to know. Our guest is Paul Moore. Thanks for being on the show, Paul. You bet. It's great to be here, Whitney. Will you tell us a little bit about maybe a recent deal that Wellings Capital did? Yeah. So I wrote a book called The Perfect Investment, and it's about multifamily investing. And I feel a little weird about it now because the perfect investment is no longer perfect if you can't find any deals. And as we record this here in the late summer of 2018, it's very, very hard to find multifamily deals that make sense. I have friends looking for duplexes. They can't find any that pencil out. I have friends looking for 300 units. They have found a few, but not that many that work. And so it's really hard. So we recently decided in the spring of 2018 to actually expand into self-storage. And there's all kinds of reasons and metrics and demographics for why self-storage is a great investment right now. 
And if you ask me later in the show, I can get into that a little bit. But we actually decided, you know, I've been studying Warren Buffett. I'm actually writing a lot of articles for Bigger Pockets on Warren Buffett's advice for real estate investors. And one thing he does really well is he doesn't start companies from the ground up. He actually invests in other companies that have a successful product. They're in a great location, etc. He throws money at them and helps those people grow. And so we decided that's the way to get into self-storage for us. And so back in the spring, we took two trips to a self-storage company's headquarters, met with the CEO for many hours each time. We went out and looked at about six of their deals. I actually went to Florida later and looked at a couple of their upcoming deals. And we decided to tell our investors about that. And we invested with them. So our investors put together $2.9 million all into one check. We gave that check to the self-storage company and we invested in one of their deals. And so all of our investors are part of our one group investing in that company. So that's my most recent deal. Really excited to do more like that. We did a multifamily deal about nine months ago as well in Lexington, Kentucky. And one thing that's really exciting about that is we found out at the very beginning of seeing that deal that they were spending way more than they needed to on water and sewer, like over double what they should have been. And we realized they probably had a lot of leaks. We talked to a maintenance guy and the pool, they said, was dropping. The water level was dropping about six or seven inches a day. And we said, well, what are you doing about that? He said, oh, I just fill her up every day. And so we thought, oh, okay, good. That's good. Keep doing that. So we acquired this facility and we actually have been systematically fixing dozens and dozens of toilet flappers or whatever they're called. And we fixed the pool and we fixed some other leaks. And so we're bringing the water costs way down, water and sewer and gas costs as well. And so by doing that, we're actually adding a significant, I think 10% to the bottom line. Now, when you take 10%, and this is another reason I love syndication, Whitney, if you take 10% add it to the bottom line, but you're leveraged at about 65% loan to value ratio, you just basically added about 30% to the leveraged bottom line, okay? I'm just saying it that way. Because when you divide your net income in a commercial deal by the cap rate, you will come up with the value. Okay, so if you can add $75,000 to your bottom line, you divide that by the current cap rate of, let's say, 7%, you're adding something like a million dollars to the value of that property. And we did that for about a sixty-five dollars or $75,000 investment. Where else can you get a return like that, Whitney? I ask you. Nowhere. Not that I know of. It's true. So that's one of the reasons we love syndication. One of the reasons we love apartments. So if anybody has apartments, call 1-800. Now, seriously, call Whitney and let us know because we would love to acquire more multifamily. So me and you talked a little bit about a deal that you all just put a bid in on. We were going to discuss that. Could you elaborate a little bit about what made that a deal you wanted to pursue even in this market and why it didn't turn out? Yeah, it was in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it was actually outside of Knoxville in a small town, and it didn't have that much competition. It was built in 1984, if I'm not mistaken, had about 130 units, and the original owners were still managing this. It had a huge group of owners, 
it had not been upgraded very much. We asked them why they chose white appliances for the upgrades they had. And I'm not against white appliances necessarily, maybe. But the manager said, oh, I just like white. And so we said, that's good, good, okay, keep doing that. But seriously, the property manager was telling us how she did not want to upgrade certain vacant units because she didn't want that to hit her budget till later in the year. And we said, no, come again. And she said, we don't want, we're just going to leave those two or three units vacant that just went vacant in July because we don't want all that money, that 5000 per unit or whatever expense to change the flooring and kitchen out. We don't want that to hit our financials till like November or December. So we're just going to leave those empty. We said, oh, okay, that's interesting. So with things like that, you know, hey, here's an opportunity. Well, the problem, Whitney, is there's a lot of other people that see that opportunity as well. We're not unique. So some other people might, I'm not saying if they would, but they might be willing to overpay. And I think there are several reasons that some multifamily syndicator investors might be willing to overpay these days. Number one, there's a lot of 1031 money coming out of deals that have been sold and this 1031 exchange money has to be placed. And in some cases, they may have to pay 20%, whatever the capital gains tax is for them that they might be willing to overpay by 5 or 10% over what the very maximum value is just to avoid paying that tax. That's number one. Number two, self-directed IRAs are more popular than ever. And some people have self-directed IRA money. They should be just as discriminating with that money as any other cash. But sometimes, honestly, they're not. Number three, there's international money. There's foreign investment money coming into the U.S. And sometimes those people, there's a guy I'm working with right now in China who says some of his investors are willing to get in for a zero profit just to get out of the Chinese currency into the U.S. dollar. And they just want to get into U.S. assets. And some of those folks, like I talked to a guy in New Zealand the other day who said that their cap rates are like half of ours, meaning for pound for pound, they're paying double for the same apartment building that we are here. So they still think it's a good deal to pay, let's say, a four and a half cap Ray, you know, deal here instead of a two and a half or three cap in New Zealand or wherever. And the fifth reason I think some people are overpaying is honestly, there might be some unscrupulous operators out there who are fudging the numbers a little bit, or maybe they're inexperienced. Let's say they're not unscrupulous. I wouldn't say that. Let's say they're inexperienced and their numbers aren't really right and their investors don't know any better and they're overpaying and they might end up being real sorry, as we saw 10 years ago in the last recession at some point. So I think that's what's going on. And I, that's a very long answer, hopefully helpful for why we didn't win that deal or any other deal we bid on this year. No, that's really good. I appreciate you laying out why people are overpaying in this market. And I think it shows great due diligence and analyzing on your part that you all didn't move forward and didn't overpay. Well, thanks. I think that increases your investor's confidence to you and Wellings Capital. Wouldn't you agree? I think so. Sometimes I'll start an investor call and they'll be really excited to talk with me and I'll say, well, I just want to tell you, we're all in our 50s. We've all made mistakes. I have a How to Lose Money podcast and I can't promise you we'll have any deals to invest in anytime soon. And they generally think well of me for that. So... I mean, I'd like to have something to invest in. There are a lot of opportunities in self-storage right now compared to multifamily. So that's one of the reasons we're looking at that as well. Well, let's talk about that. You mentioned self-storage quite a few times. And 
Why should we consider self-storage now instead of just really focusing on multifamily completely? You know, in the last recession, self-storage actually did quite well. And I had a hint of that when I wrote my book. And I mentioned it, I think, once in the book briefly. But the SHARP ratio, S-H-A-R-P-E, which measures the return divided by the risk or the volatility over a long time, it's up to four or five times multifamilies is four or five times better than the S&P 500 and some other measures. And it's better than almost every other commercial real estate asset class. But self-storage, even though it's usually not broken out from warehousing and industrial, it's actually better than multifamily, which means it's actually got a better risk-adjusted return over the last several decades than perhaps anything out there. Let me tell you what's so exciting about self-storage. There are about 53,000 self-storage facilities in the U.S., which is about the same as the total of McDonald's, Subways, and Starbucks in the U.S. And about 40,000 of those, from what we can tell, are operated, owned and operated by mom and pop or independent operators, which means that they may be doing fine, but they may not be doing incredibly then, so that's one large class of owners, okay, of self-storage, 40,000 of the 53. Then you got a handful at the top owned by REITs and maybe 10% are owned by public storage, which has 7% of the market. And then a whole bunch of others that have maybe 1% each of the market. But you've got this gap between the mom and pops down here and the REITs up here. And this gap is where the incredible opportunity is. It's possible to acquire one of these 40,000 facilities that is operated okay and bring in new systems, new marketing, new management, new operations, add all kinds of value-add opportunities like adding U-Haul. For example, adding U-Haul with very little effort, you can add two or 3,000 a month to your bottom line. And again, if you use divide that by the cap rate, that's 36,000 a year perhaps divided by a 7% cap rate, I think that's like a $700,000 increase to the bottom line. You can do the math. It's probably, I'm not sure if it's that high, but it's over half a million dollars increase just by a policy change without knocking out any walls or changing any toilets or cabinets. So there's a lot of opportunities to get. You wouldn't think that value add would be something you could do on self-storage, but you actually can. There's all kinds of things that can be done. We hope that you have enjoyed the highlight show today. You can always listen to the full episodes that were featured today by clicking the links in the show notes page in the, in the description box. Let us know in the comments what you thought of this episode, or you can go to lifebridgecapital.com forward slash podcast and click the feedback button. Let us know how we can add more value to you. Thank you and talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success. 